I'd like you to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Last night, uh, as I was praying for this service and getting ready for it, um, I, I was just struck with the reality of, of, of just, I mean, I don't know how to explain it, but it, it, more than I've ever realized it before, I'm realizing the reality of this kingdom, and I know you are too, realizing that there is a reality of not just of God um, existing, but God being a part of everyday life, of God being a part of this life, but, but also the knowledge of the next, not, the knowledge that this is not all there is. And the older I get and the more I grow in Christ, and I'm sure that you can say the same about you, the more I realize this is all going away. This is all very, very temporary. And um, it's an important realization. And I want to tell you very clearly that I believe the Word of God that there is a real heaven, there's a real hell. And that's, not a, that's not a joke, that's not a, it's not a, a debate, it's for real. And I know there's been some debate about that, but I, you know, I, and I've, I, I check it out, I don't take anything for granted, but I really do, uh, through the Scriptures, you, you just can't avoid the fact that there is a reality of those two places. I want to tell you that for the rest of eternity, uh, the Scripture doesn't say you'll spend the rest of eternity in heaven if if you're born again, but because we know that Jesus is recreating a new heaven and a new earth. And he says, we'll rule and reign with him. So there is, there's not just heaven, there's more than that. And uh, our minds can't even comprehend what's all that's there. I'm not going to try to tell you everything that's waiting for you in the next life, everything that's waiting for you throughout the rest of eternity. But you know, when eternity by definition is not just the future, is it? Eternity does not just mean someday. Eternity is all of time. And so eternity is beyond time, actually. And so eternity, it, it, yes, it includes your future, but it also includes right now. When Jesus gave you eternal life, that means life that's never going to stop. It doesn't mean life that's going to begin when you die. It means it won't end when your body dies. So when you received eternal life, you got it. You're not waiting for it. You have it. This is the same life, that, the life that you're walking in now. Your spirit is born again. Now, we know that the spirit's made new. Your body's still the same old body, right? We know that this thing's not going to last. That the Bible tells us that, that there's going to be a new body that you get. Thank God. A glorified body. And uh, I know that that seems kind of sci-fi to some of you, but trust me, um, I believe Jesus. And Jesus said it very clearly. There is something after this. In fact, even in his day and age, you may think it's a new thing, but it's not a new thing. I mean, the Sadducees was a very popular, it was a popular sect of Jewish, uh, of Judaism in his time. And the Sadducees were, were the kind of the upper class, um, the elites of society that really taught there's, no, there's nothing after this, there's no resurrection. And they really played down the involvement of God in everyday life. That may sound familiar to you. Um, it's one step, one step closer to just almost believing nothing at all. And uh, very, a very religious, ritualistic form of, of, of belief, but nothing that really believed that God was going to be involved in daily life, nothing that really believed that there was anything after this. And so Jesus fought the same lies, that this was it, that there's nothing past this. And he made it very clear. The Apostle Paul went to prison 
was beat, was, was tortured, sometimes for just saying there was a resurrection. For just saying not just that Jesus was resurrected, but that you were. One of my favorite stories, of course, you, you catch me on that, I say that about everything, but uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible was, was when the Apostle Paul was, in, was on trial, and it, was a, it wasn't going well for him. And they wanted to kill him. And uh, they didn't really like what he was saying, of course. But in this, in this courtroom, in this uh, you know, Sanhedrin, this gathering, you had Pharisees who did believe in the resurrection. Not the resurrection of Jesus, but they believed in a, in a resurrection, that you would be resurrected, that there'd be a life after this. And you had the Sadducees that very clearly believed that there wasn't. And every now and then they'd get along long enough to, to stone somebody. And so, you know, Paul is a, a troublemaker, and they say, let's put our differences aside. There are things more important than our differences. Number one, making sure this guy dies. So, all right, you know, there's nothing that gets a, a family together better than a good old stoning, you know. Bring the picnic baskets and, and your favorite rock. We're going to have a wonderful time this afternoon if we can all get together. And so they, they got to this trial, and, and the Apostle Paul's testifying, and it's not going well. And he says all of a sudden, I mean, he realizes this is not, they're not listening, their hearts are hard. He says, I'm on trial today for the resurrection. And the Pharisees perk up and the Sadducees perk up. And all of a sudden they start arguing with each other and really fighting each other. And he kind of just slips out the back, you know, with one of the soldiers like, all right, leave them alone. And I'm sure the Romans are thinking, typical Jews. I mean, come on, man. But, uh, you know, this is what happened. And uh, so it was a debate even then that there was nothing more than this. As Christians, you can't be lured into the, the, the common thought, the spirit of the age, the spirit of the world, that will tell you that this is it. Live for today because this is all there is. That, that really lures you into a, into a certain type of sleep. I think entertainment is one of those things. I mean, in my life at least, entertainment is that, is that siren song that lures you to this sleepy state where you forget what's going on. You know, it's amazing the stuff. We wouldn't let somebody come into our house around our kids, start swearing up a storm and talking about what they did last night, talking about what they did with who and, and all, all these, you know, vulgar things. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't let that in our house. We'd say, come on, man, chill out. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to talk that way, in my house, I mean, it's one thing when you're ministering to somebody. It's another thing when you let them in and you say, all right, we're going to listen to you preach to us. And they just, they give you a load of garbage. We wouldn't let that happen. And yet, we let a lot of that stuff in if it's funny enough. If it's funny enough, we'll let it in. If it's, if it's clever enough, if it's got good enough special effects, I'll let it in my home. You know, God didn't create you just for that. I mean, I mean, I, he didn't create you to drink poison with a little bit of sugar that makes it taste good. Uh, thank God he created us for a better life, a greater life in him. And uh, you got to stay awake for that. Because, I mean, if you let yourself, it'll all lure you back into sleep, back into forgetting that, that, that there is a war going on, back to forgetting that this is a life and death matter. And I do believe in joy. I believe in great delight. And I think we've been ripped off. We have been greatly ripped off by thinking we can find pleasure. I mean, that a movie that, I mean, I'm not preaching against movies. You know what? You can go see movies. Thank God. If God tells you don't see movies, don't see movies. Uh, I would use my, I would, I would pray about what kind of movie you're going to see. I wouldn't just go see any 
piece of trash that's out there. But I'm not telling you right now, you can't watch TV, you can't listen to music, you can't. Of course not. But what I am saying is, you've got to listen to the voice of the Spirit more than anything else. If that stuff's taking more time than anything else, you've got to say what Jesus said was that, he said, my sheep follow me because they hear my voice. He said they don't follow strangers because they don't know their voices. They're not, they're not accustomed to strangers' voice. And so I think that more than anything, you've got to have the voice of God more than any other voice in your life. But all this stuff just is, is just there to lure you back into a sleepy state where you forget what's really going on in life. Where you forget that really this is a short period of time that you don't get a do-over for. How many of you ever saw that show back in the early part of the 2000s and the late part of the 90s, I'm not sure. But it, I forgot what it was called. Something about a second chance where people would go and they'd die and then a, some judge, it wasn't God, it was like Othniel from the Old Testament, would send them back and an angel would go with them. And it was like, it was all for really lame stuff. It wasn't like, you know, they weren't murderers. They weren't, you know, it was, it was like you didn't, you weren't very nice to your maid. I'm sending you back to learn how to be nice to hired help. You know that kind of thing? They'd come back as a maid. Nobody remembers this? That's okay. Twice in a lifetime, right? You know, it's fiction, but it's also kind of the, the idea that, you know, we'll all get a, a second try at this, but you really don't. And uh, there, were, there is a reality to the fact that you'll stand before the king of all creation, the judge of all creation, and thank God if you've trusted in Jesus, your wrongs, your trespasses, your mistakes aren't going to be brought up at all. Thank God they were put on Jesus Christ. They were judged in Jesus Christ. And you're not going to stand there and have to take account for the wrongs you've done. But the Bible does say you will have to give an account for what you have done. Like the good stuff you've done. And I, say, I mentioned this last week, but uh, the, the Scripture talks about preachers, for instance, who be under, the Bible says if you're a teacher, here's good news for me, if you're a teacher, you're under a stricter judgment. <laughs> Thank God. Oh, goody. I get to be there and get, and get a bigger microscope on me. But then he says this. I mean, Thank God we know if we're, if we're ministering by the Spirit, God's doing the work. You've got nothing to worry about. Um, if you're, do, if you're in it for some other reason, then there's a problem. But if you're doing this for the Lord, it's going to be good. It's going to be a happy day. It's going to be a day of rewards. It's going to be a, 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 a joyful ceremony. But he also talks in 1 Corinthians 3 about a group of people that are going to stand before the king. And they're going to have built a bunch of stuff, but not built it on the right foundation. Built it with the wrong materials. They built it for speed. They built it for, to be big. But they didn't build it with materials that would last. It says you stand there on that day. It says all your work is burned up. Nothing survived. Everything you worked hard at life, thought was so important, didn't last. Some, their work, if they built it on Jesus, if they did this for the kingdom, it's there at the end and you get a reward for it. You get a, you get a crown. You get, you get a, a, an attaboy, well done. But then it says some will stand there and have nothing to show. And they spent their whole life maybe being a big deal to a lot of people. But there won't be anything to show for it. He says they themselves will be saved. Thank God. As though through fire. Which means this close. <laughs> but they're saved. Praise God. They stand for the king. They're not going to hell. They're, they get to spend eternity with Jesus. It's a good deal for them. But they've got nothing to show. 
It says their work was destroyed, their work was burned up. They, they've got no reward. And uh, that's not a good thing. That's not something I want for you. And I don't believe it's anything you have to have. I don't want you for, for a second to think, oh, I, I've just got to do, do more for Jesus. I've got to do more, I've got to do more. Because that's probably an attitude that's going to run you right into the ground. What you do need to say is, I need to let God do what he created me for through me. I need to let him be who he is. I need to finally wake up and say, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready to be used. There is more to this life than everything we see, a lot more. This is all very temporary. This is all very temporary, but we get to work with eternal stuff. We live in temporary houses. We have money, uh, bank accounts full of temporary money. But what will last is what you do for the kingdom. What will last is what you give. What will last is how you love. What will last is how you obey. And you have to have an eye towards that. Don't fall asleep and just say, well, it's all about now. Even amongst believers, there's, there's still a sort of a movement to turn Jesus into a social ref- revolutionary that was all about pe- making people's lives better and just, you know, changing the social status. And people will tell you he was murdered because he shook up the social structure. But I'll tell you why he was murdered. Because he claimed to be the Son of God. That Jesus came to save the world, not just feed a couple people. Thank God He did. And that's part of our goal and part of our mission in life. Feed the hungry, clothe the naked. But that's not the only reason He came. He said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? If you gave a man a sandwich and never told him about Jesus, if it doesn't profit him to gain the whole world and lose his soul, what does it profit him to gain a sandwich and lose his soul? There's more than what we can see, feel, touch, taste. There's so much more. And it's worth it. And I want to tell you, I'm after delight now. I'm after real pleasure now. I'm a pleasure seeker, but not in the kind that the world thinks of. I'm after the pleasure that King David talked about. Where he's in the middle of a desert. Doesn't have any water. And he says, my, my soul and even my body. Now think about it, guys. I can understand being in a desert with no water and you being a real spiritual person. And because you're so spiritual, your spirit wants Jesus, wants God, longs for God. But my body, can I tell you the truth? I can imagine, please. Yeah. I can imagine my body saying, you may want more of God. I want water right now. And I can imagine me having to tell my body, shut up for a minute. I, I, I want to talk to God. You know, but King David said, my soul and even my body yearns for you. In a dry, waterless place, there is no water. I'm not looking for water. I'm looking for you. The real water. As Jesus said, if you drank from me, you'd never thirst again. Thank God. A better translation of that would be, you'll never go thirsty again. You'll never say, I'm thirsty and have nothing to drink. Because he's the ever-flowing stream, the ever-flowing fountain. Praise God. And so these, bi- these, these writers, they discovered something that, that really giving your life fully over and really pursuing the things of God and, and marinating in who he is, that's where you find real delight. The world doesn't even know how to tap into this. Real joy. Jesus talked about a fullness of joy. Like joy that's not empty, it's not a shell. It's not the joy, it's not like happiness that, that 
it feels good for a moment, you regret it later, or it feels good, but it fades. He talked about a fullness of joy that's so rich, it's so satisfying that you finally realize that's why I'm on this planet, that's why I'm here. I want that. I feel we've been greatly ripped off. We have been sold a package of defective goods. We've been sold like, you know, like Chinese counterfeit DVDs. We have been ripped off by what the world tells us will make us happy. But I'm going to tell you that what what God says in Isaiah 55 is, why are you wasting your money, your time, your energy on the things that don't feed you, that don't satisfy, that aren't any good? Come to me and I'd give it to you for free. Isn't that awesome? I just not, I'm just done wasting my time. And I hope that's all right with you. But I'm getting to a place where I'm just, you know, Brother Dennis talked about that lukewarm Christianity that does no, nobody any good. He says, you know, either be hot or be cold. You've got something to pour out. I totally agree with that. I mean, I, I just, I don't ever want to be that lukewarm guy again. I've been there. I've been close to that point, and I, I don't like it anymore. I, I just want to be so radical that I get to discover what real joy is every day. That I get to discover the delight that they talked about in the Word. The real delight. I want to have not just, not just a knowledge of God up here. I want to know Him like I know the people I've spent my whole life with. And uh, I'm after it. And I think you are too. You know, we think the world wants... a. Uh, we think what the world's looking for is something that a, a Christian version of what they already have. Uh, kind of a religious cleaned up version of what they already have. You know, the same music but, but with less profanity or, or the same movies but maybe a, a teddy bear inspirational message. But I'm going to tell you, I, praise God, I thank God for good, you know, good solid um, music that's full of the word, movies that are full of word. I praise God, I'm not knocking that at all. But what I'm telling you right now is that what the world wants, they don't even know what they need yet. They don't know it until they see it. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You ever, you ever somebody offer you like a new food and you just, you never had it before, and then you eat it and you go, where have you been all my life? This is amazing. I mean, this is awesome. I love it when we go to other countries and they give you something that's just so weird. The worst thing you can hear in another country is we have a special treat for you. Because that can mean anything. That could be some, like when it's special, that can be bad. That might be, that might be an animal you would normally hug and pet. That might be something that, you know, I mean, doesn't matter. But every now and then you get something that looks weird. And the texture's funny. But you can't put your finger on it, but it is amazing. And you go back home to Canada and you crave it and you can't find it anywhere. I mean, I, I, I remember eating this thing in Japan, and it was such a weird texture. It was like this flavor, this color, and this texture don't go together. In fact, that was kind of the feeling the whole time in Japan was, this, everything's just a little off here. It just was such a different culture, you know. It was like, just, I feel a little bit funny everywhere. But you'd eat this thing, and you go, this is amazing. You try to find it when you get home. Have you ever felt that way? Bailey just gave me a piece of candied ginger this morning. I never had it before. And now I want more. This is very good. I'm craving it right now. So we try to give what the world says they want. You know, somebody does a survey. This is what the world says what they want to see in the church. The world doesn't know. 
How are they supposed to know? They have not experienced what you may have experienced. They've not tasted and seen that the Lord is good. They may think they need something, but let me tell you, if you give them really all, if you show them the goodness of God, if you really let them experience the radical love of God, if you let them experience the overwhelming presence of God, then they'll want that. The Bible talks in 1 Corinthians 14 about a group of people. It says, you know, it talks about our church services and it talks about these things. And it says, you know, if you're prophesying to one another and maybe you said this, you know, I'm bringing a guest this morning and this guest doesn't know anything about Jesus. Please, God, don't let them do anything weird. <laughs> like, no, nobody prophesying, please. Nobody speaking in tongues loudly. Oh, God, help me. And if you pray for somebody at the end, don't let them fall down, Jesus. And if you have to make them fall down, don't make them fall down laughing real hard and being weird because you're afraid. Uh-oh, you know, people are going to freak out. But the Bible talks about a group of people. It says if, you're, if, you're, if they walk in and you're prophesying to one another, they will fall on their faces and say, surely God is in this place. They don't fall on their faces and surely they've got rock and music. Surely that's delicious coffee. Boom. Surely that was a funny joke. Boom. I mean, that's not going to, they may go and leave and go, I had a, an all right time. That wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Uh, wish it had ended a little earlier. Would have caught the buffet, but uh, not terrible. I, I suppose I'm having a child soon. I should start to get into this routine. Right? No, that's not what we want. You want them to come in to your house and experience God. You want them to have a conversation with you over coffee and experience a love they've never felt before. You want them, when they're sick, to know they can call you and you're going to pray for them. Not in a lame, well, Lord, maybe if you want to maybe make them feel better, I don't know. But, but in faith, really believing and see them healed. The world doesn't know what they need yet. But so let's not buy the lie that they've been selling for so long that this will make us happy or this will satisfy because there's only one thing that satisfies. There's only one, one real delight, one real pleasure, and it's not found anywhere else but through Him. I'm after it. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and I want more. I want so much more. Last night, it was, uh, I just, once again, I have these weird little moments every few months where I wake up and go, there's more. I've been settling for too little. There's more, and I want it. We've wasted too much time talking. I want to go to Hebrews 11. I remember, I remember Brent. Brent and I were, were just buddies at the same time that we both just got turned on on fire to God. And uh, we had fun moments. And if you don't mind, Brent, I'll share a little story. I remember Brent calling me. And, and he had just hit by, been hit by the reality of how short 
time is on this earth and how so much God wanted to do through his life. That he's like, eating chips takes too much time, John. He goes, he goes I'm not, I don't want to eat any more chips. It's a waste of time. There are people to be saved. Chips are a waste of time, man. I'm just... <laughs> I remember putting the phone going like, uh, maybe he's got something I don't have, but I'm not at that place yet. You know, I've, I've said this, and I think that this is a good policy. It's my personal policy, and you feel you can adopt it if you want. But I said to God at one point, because there were people around me that were on fire and took things to a level I wasn't used to, like, you know, they're going to just spend this much time with God. They're not, they're, and, you know, sometimes it freaks us out, and sometimes people do go overboard, and, you know, th- we understand that they're getting a little crazy. But you know what? I said to God, I said, I'm never going to try to lower somebody else's standards because they're different than mine. If somebody's so on fire for God that they say, I'm throwing my TV out, I'm not going to try to convince them to make myself feel better about my TV that, that they're going too far. Because who knows? A few years laid down the road, I may be where they are. And I don't want to be a stumbling block to them because ultimately, if God told them to do something, that's all that matters. If God told you to do something, that's not my business to talk you out of it. I don't want to be a stumbling block for you. If God told you to eat broccoli for the rest of the year, I don't think he would. And I would really, may, I may talk to you and really try to find out if it was really God. But if you believe that that was God, then I'm not going to tell you it's, I'm not going to tell you you shouldn't do it because I really believe that everyone is responsible for what the Lord speaks to you. You've got to listen to the voice of God. And I'm not going to lower somebody's standards. So if somebody, if you're, if you're watching something or listening to something or, or reading something that somebody else says, uh, oh, I, I, I don't read that, you know, Spirit really talked to me about that, I don't do it anymore. The best thing you can do is go to the Lord and say, is there something to this? You know, should I stop too? And if the Lord says, no, you're all right, then okay, fine. But don't go back and try to get them to stop or try to get them to change their standards so that you feel like you're on the same level. Because at that point, you're being a stumbling block to somebody. And you're telling them, my voice in your life is more important than his voice in your life. It's a bad deal. So don't try to do that. If somebody's more extreme than you, I mean, I'm not talking about they're coming into your house and ripping things down. Okay, that's different. <laughs> they're spanking your kids for, for no reason. I mean, these are things I don't, I don't agree with. But... If they're, not, if they're not pushing things on you, if they, just, they have a certain standard, don't you dare try to talk them out of that standard. You let them serve God with all their heart in the way that God has spoken to them, and you cheer them on. And I believe that God will work through that. Amen. Hebrews 11. Of course, we could read the whole thing, but for the sake of time, I encourage you to go home and read it. In its context, read the entire chapter, and you'd be blessed by it. But I want you to uh, see in verse 8, It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now you realize Abraham's not a young man. He's not a little adventurer that has nothing to lose. He gave up his, his family. He gave up his inheritance. He gave up everything that he had in his homeland for a place he'd never, he didn't know. He didn't know where he was going. Now, this kind of person is the kind of person we sit down at church 
and we take into an office and go, now, really? They just say, I, I'm supposed to just go. I just don't know where, but I'm supposed to go. Mm-mm, are you really hearing from the Lord here? That sounds a little crazy to me. I mean, I, 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 get, don't get me wrong. I would really, I might grill you and find out, was that really God? You should be able to, to with select people, not with everybody, but with the people you've trusted and the people that you've uh, trusted that God will speak through them into your life, you should be able to, to say, I really heard from God and, and expect that they'll care about that. But at the same time, this is totally nuts. This is crazy. He's an old man at this point, and he just leaves, just starts walking. Not knowing where he's going. And it says, By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Do you know where he traveled? There were cities. There were places he could have settled but he chose rather to stay in tents in the place that God had told him to go because he wasn't looking for a natural city. He was looking for a city that he couldn't see. Now, this is hard for us to grasp sometimes, but Abraham knew what I can't see is more important than what I can see. There's something bigger than me just you know, living in a cool city right now. I want to go where God tells me to go. And if there's nothing there, I will live in tents for the rest of my life. This is a man who could have afforded Bigger accommodations than just tents. But he lived in tents because this is what God sent him. The Bible says he was very rich. It says he was one of the richest guys around. He could have easily, you know, settled somewhere, made a good life, but because he was looking for another city. Now, I want you to think about what that means. This man was looking for a city that he couldn't see. He was looking for something that God would build rather than something that man had built. And it says this, By faith even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead as that, at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed, listen to this, that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Now, that doesn't sound fun at first, right? But I believe that Abraham discovered something that we can't even grasp, well, we can because, thank God, we're in Jesus. That the world can't even grasp. Abraham discovered something, that life with God, being able to walk with him, talk with him, obey him and go wherever he goes, is way better than what the world thinks is a good life. Way better. Now, God gave him things that the world wanted. At one point, the king, uh, I mean... He had rescued Sodom and Gomorrah. This is before they were destroyed. He had rescued, because Lot was there, he rescued Lot. And the kings wanted to give him some some of the loot, give him some of the bounty. And he said, I don't want to take even a shoelace from you. Because if I take anything from you, you're going to say, you made me rich. But he wanted the world to know that God made him rich. So it's not like he didn't have anything in this life. But he was looking for something bigger, and he wasn't settling for what the world would have settled for what the world would have thought was a successful life. Because, you know, Abraham died 
probably looking like less than a success to some people because he didn't get what they wanted. You know, how you're defined by everybody else, whether you're successful or not, is not defined by how, what you think is successful. It's defined what they view as successful for them. This is what I think is success, so I'm going to put that on you. And if you reached it, you're successful. If you didn't, you're not. Abraham lived in tents when everybody thought that living in a nice city, in a, I mean, and owning a lot of land and all of this would have been successful. But he didn't settle for that. He knew that there was something even bigger than that. That God had something bigger. It says they confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things... Make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. Isn't that awesome? Now, he doesn't say we're strangers and exiles in this, in this territory. He doesn't say we're strangers and exiles in this province or, or, or this, this division, this area. He says we're strangers and exiles on this earth. For we're looking for a country of our own. That God had something for them that was so much bigger than what the world thought that they needed. It says this, And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. When you start dwelling on what you could have, what everybody else wants, what you might have had, had you gone a different way, you'll have a chance to turn back. Do you remember the old song we used to sing, still do from time to time? I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. What happened when Lot's wife turned back? She... She partook, and she, she missed that city, she missed that home, and she shared in their destruction. And she turned back, the angel said, don't turn back, just go. I don't believe you're going to be turned into a pillar of salt, or a pillar of pepper, or anything like that. I believe that, I believe that God's grace and mercy is so great, that there are times when we turn back, and he's faithful to go after the one sheep, and leave the 99, and go after one, I believe that. But I also believe don't waste your time. It's not worth it. There's such, there's such a, a, a life when you say there's no exit strategy. I'm just going full out. And it says if you started thinking about what you left, you'd have an opportunity to go back. You started thinking about those things that you used to do. The enemy will work on that. The human brain is an amazing thing. It, it is a real cleaning mechanism. Have you ever had such a terrible experience and then, and then, you know, a few months later, a few years later, your brain has cleaned it up and you don't even remember the bad stuff anymore? It seemed like it wasn't so bad. Certain relationships in your life, you thought, well, I don't know why that was such a big deal until you run into that person again and you go, oh, right. That's, that's, that's right. That, that's right. <laughs> thank God at that point God helps you gives you that great love that he had for you when you were a jerk and uh, you're able to love the unlovable women discover this all the time right I mean you're delivering a baby you're like never again this will never happen to me again and then a few months later you're like wouldn't it be nice It'd be nice to have another kid It'd be nice to have another child boy and and in the back of your mind, see, this hasn't happened to us, thank God. But in the back of your mind, I've seen many husbands go, oh, you didn't seem to enjoy that too much. Oh, it was wonderful. I don't know what you're talking about. It was a, it was a beautiful experience. Your brain cleans things up. Now, you may say my brain never cleaned that up. But that's, that's your business. 
There are memories that, that lose their sting over time. <laughs> Thank God. But there are bad things that you partook in. I've, I've seen this so many times with people I've ministered to, and you talk on the phone with them, and you, you spend time with them, and, and they say, oh, I mean, like, they, they fall back into addiction. They fall back into this stuff they were in before, and they say, oh, I never want to go back there again. And then sometimes they do. And when they do, you talk to them and say, why would you do that? And they said, oh, it sounded so good at the time. The Bible says that sin has pleasure for a moment, but in the end it yields destruction. I mean, there's just this lie that you believe that it wasn't so bad. Yeah, that's why people, people, while they're drunk, while they're getting drunk, think this is amazing, but they hang over. It's terrible. They say, I'll never do that again. And then they, the next weekend, same thing. Why are they going to the same filth? Stuff gets cleaned up in your memory. The enemy starts lying. says, it wasn't, like, it wasn't that bad. It didn't cause you any problems. But you know it does. It says, if you start thinking about that stuff, you'd have an opportunity to go backwards. But God doesn't want you going backwards. He wants you going forwards. So what did Abraham think about? He didn't think about his old house. He stopped thinking about that a long time ago. Didn't think about the old friends he used to have. He started thinking about the city that was ahead of him. Knowing that he may not even see it in this life, but that it was his. And it says in verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country. I want you to think about that word, better. I want you to be convinced this morning that what God has for you is always better. It's better. Now you may have been sold a package that tells you that this life the life that God's t called you to is just a terrible, suffering, hard life. But I want to tell you, even though there are trials, and even though there, are resist there is resistance and there are battles, it is better, infinitely better, that what He has for you is so much better than what anyone else offers you. And it says they, they desired a better country. They weren't settling. Have you ever settled on something? You ever bought something just because it was there or you ordered something just because you didn't trust your, your instincts to go with something else? All of these things, you settle. Have you ever said, I had to settle for something? And you regret it later because you could have gone for something better, but you went for what you had right here, right now. Don't settle, guys. Don't settle. Because here he says, they didn't settle. Literally, <laughs> they didn't settle. They didn't settle for what, what everybody else was settling for because they desired something better. The only way you're going to desire something better is if you're looking at it, if you know, if you believe God that it's there. Because I'm telling you right now that, that, that there is the lie, there is the, the, the spirit out there that's convincing you that this is as good as it gets. Jump on the train. This is it. But I'm telling you, it's better. You've got to taste and see the Lord is good. There is something better that He has. There's better in this life and there's better in the next. And both are very real. The kingdom of God is here now with you. With those that believe in Jesus, the kingdom is in you, He says. But I want to also tell you, there is a kingdom to come. You see, right now, when Jesus came, in Mark 1, He said to His disciples, He said, or those that would be His disciples, He said, the, the fulfilled time has come, the kingdom is here. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. He says, he says, repent and believe the gospel. 
Praise God. The good news of the kingdom. And from that point on, the kingdom was here. It was in the hearts of men and women who followed Jesus. It's still here. That's why Jesus told us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That the kingdom of God is within us. It goes with us wherever we go. He sent disciples out saying, preach in every village, saying the kingdom of God is here. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out evil spirits. Freely you've received, now freely give. But, but there's more. Isn't that the message of the Bible? But wait, there's more. There's a kingdom to come. Right now, the kingdom does not control the entire earth. The kingdom has more power than anything in this world. The kingdom is more powerful than anything the earth has to offer, but it's not in control. Because you can go to work and realize the kingdom's not operating here. You go to a family reunion and realize the kingdom's not here. The kingdom's with me. And I travel with it and I spread it. But it's not in that. It's not there. It's not in them. But there will be a day when that kingdom expands and Jesus rules. Rules the entire earth. Rebuilds everything that was broken. Redeems everything that was lost. The lion will lay down with the lamb. And until you see that, and I'm not just talking about some YouTube video where it happened once. I'm talking about regularly. You haven't seen the kingdom yet. But it will come. And he will reign. And we'll reign with him. So there's still a, a, a greater kingdom that's coming. We carry the kingdom with us. We're part of an unshakable kingdom, but there's even more. There's even more that we await. That's why the Bible says, you know, we, we, we've been redeemed, we've been saved, but your body, we groan for that new body. We groan for, for our, the fullness of our redemption. We groan for the completion of our adoption. The Bible says we've already been adopted. We cry out, Abba, Father. And yet, it says we're waiting all of creation is waiting for us to come into the fullness of our adoption. That there will be a time when you get that new body. When you rule and reign as kings. Now you should rule and reign in this life already. But I'm talking about walking in a, in a kingdom that, that is not just a fairy tale. It's not just a fantasy. The scripture tells us it's coming. But in this life, right now, you don't get reduced. You don't get a reset button. You don't get a reload. This is your one chance to do right now to spread this kingdom and to seek it. Seek it with everything you have. When he says, seek first the kingdom, and we said before, seek means to seek and seek and seek and never stop seeking. And all of his righteousness, all of those other things will be added to you. But he says, don't worry about those things. They're not worth your time. I'll give them to you. They're yours. The Bible says, he says, all things are yours. Everything in heaven and earth, it's yours. He says, all of these things, even death and life, are yours. But don't waste your time dreaming of them. It's okay, guys, to have desires. It's okay to desire that home that you've been praying for. It's okay, but you know what? Don't spend a lot of time desiring it. Give it to the Lord. Trust Him for it. Believe that you have received and then spend your energy dreaming about bigger things. Because if you spend all your time praying and dreaming about that car, that's such a small thing. God's got such bigger things for you. Bigger dreams. Bigger things than that. I want to read the rest here. 
Let's, um, let's skip down. Well, no, let's keep reading. By faith, it says, oh, I'm sorry, as it is the desire of better country, that is a heavenly one. You're desiring a heavenly country? Do you know you're a citizen already? You've been given full rights of citizenship, and our desire is for that country. That's, this isn't our homeland. We live as aliens and strangers on this land. It's not our land. It's not our home. We're here as missionaries to earth. We're here as missionaries to Canada, ambassadors to this nation. But this isn't our home. We're citizens of a greater country. And it says, therefore, listen to this, because of that attitude, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. So they're not empty dreamers. They're not just dreaming for something that they might have. He has prepared it for them. It says this. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, By Isaac, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he received him back as a type. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Why? Where did Joseph die? Can somebody tell me? In Egypt. He knew that was not his home. He knew that's not where he's supposed to end up. So he tells them, you guys, don't stay here. God told them not to stay there. If they hadn't stayed there, now God saw that they would and predicted that for 400 years they'd be slaved. He knew that. But they didn't have to stay there. That was supposed to be a temporary fix while there was famine in the land. That God was going to use Egypt as an incubator to grow Israel into a strong nation that could defend itself. They waited too long and got comfortable in a land that wasn't theirs. They stopped dreaming of the land that was to come. And Joseph, when he dies, goes, there's more, guys. You're going to leave this place. And he says, when you leave, don't forget my bones. <laughs> Take my bones. I don't know if they're going to be powdery or what they're going to be, but get my bones and take them to the promised land because I don't want to stay here. Even my bones. I know I'm not here, but my, even my bones, I don't want them here. When Israel, when, when Judah was captured. Israel was taken by the Assyrians. Judah was taken by Babylon later. When those Jews in Babylon got comfortable in Babylon, God raised up prophets to say, from the rivers of Babylon, we set our eyes to Zion. We don't get comfortable here. We sing songs of Zion. We're going home. And there were people that said, no, nah, no, nah, Babylon's pretty cool. We like it here. And God raised up people to say, don't stay in Babylon. God will take us back to Zion. That's where we're meant to go. To God saying this to you, you have. In fact, the next chapter, in chapter 12, it says that we've come to Zion. We've come to the city of the living God. Why settle for this? Why settle for thinking this is all there is? Don't be lured back to sleep. Don't let entertainment or fear or anything else lure you back into sleep and saying, I'm comfortable here. That happened to them in Egypt. It happened in Babylon. It happened to the church. Don't let it happen to you. God's got better things for you. It says in verse 23, By faith Moses, 
when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused to be a prince in one of the most powerful empires of that time. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing, the passing, the very temporary pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ. Listen to that, reproach of Christ. This is way, way before Jesus was born. But considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to what? The reward. I'm telling you, it is not unbiblical, it is not wrong to look to the reward that God has for you. To have an eye, and the Apostle Paul said it several times, you recall, he said, he said if I do this under compulsion, if I do this, he goes, if, I, he goes I can't not preach. He says, if, he says, woe to me if I don't preach. I have to preach. But he says, if I preach because I have to, there's no reward for me. It's just a job. But he says, if I preach willingly, I have a reward. How many times did he say, I run in such a way that I'll win and I'll get that crown, I'll get the wreath? He says, I want it. I desire my crown. I desire to win. I desire that award. I desire my reward in heaven. More than anything here, I desire what I'm looking forward to. And that's not wrong. Some people say you can be more heavenly mind, so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I imagine there's some truth to that. But we must be heavenly minded. We must look to eternity and realize, hey, this stuff is temporary. It really sets it in perspective. Everything here that we're looking at, that we're touching, that's why, thank God, we know that were this church to burn down, and it's not going to, but if it did, God would still have a home. He doesn't live here. And when none of you are here, He's not here. But He's wherever two or three of us gather in His name. That we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. All of it's temporary. It's not worth your time, your energy, your money. I mean... You know, God gave you money, and he gave you things to enjoy, the Bible says. It's okay to enjoy them. It's okay to have a quad and enjoy the quad. You don't have to say, I better use this for the kingdom. I better go door to door on my quad. It's okay. You can have a quad. Just have some fun. That's all right. Don't spend all your time on it. Don't spend your time dreaming for it. Don't spend all your energy for it. None of it's worth it. Verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was unseen. I want, to, I want you to hear that and just trust that. He endured as seeing him who is unseen. We as believers have to keep forever on our minds, forever in our thoughts, forever in our hope, the unseen. The unseen is more real. Now, this is a weird thing to get a hold of, but the things you can't see are more real than things you can see. We think what's real is what I can touch and pound and feel and test, but what's more real than that is what you can't see because that's the permanent stuff. That's the stuff that will be around when this is all gone. Man, your life is, is so precious to God. 
is so valuable to God that, as Brother Burke said last week, he paid the greatest price for it. And I thought it was great what he said, that you determine the value of something by how much was paid for it. You determine your value by how much was paid for your life. God himself became a man, dwelt among us, and gave his life for you. You must be worth a lot. Your time on this earth, you've been indwelled with the Spirit of God, given the life of God. Jesus said, the same love that you love me with, I love them. And you love them. Jesus said, the same word that you gave me that raised the dead, that healed the sick, that set the captives free, the same word that you gave me, I gave to them. He said, in the same way, same exact way, that you sent me, I've sent them. I want you to think about that. With the same mission, with the same purpose, with the same importance that Jesus had when the Father said, go and do the will of God. With that same urgency, He sent you. With that same power, He sent you. With that same mission, He sent you. You're not less important on this planet than Jesus. Now that's weird. You may say, that's not true. He's the most important. Absolutely, He's the head of the church. He's the king. And yet God put the same value on you. The same word. Now this is all coming from John 17. Don't believe me, believe the Bible. Go to John 17 and see just every time he says, just as. Which literally means just as, the exact same way. See how many times he says that. And take him for his word. Forget your religious experience. Believe Jesus. You are so valuable to God. Your time is valuable. Your heart is valuable. Your family is valuable. I want, you to tell, I want you to know that there is no do over here, but you don't need one. You just need to respond to God. Just let Him be who He is. If you have not experienced the delight that He talks about, you haven't lived yet. You, once you taste it, you'll chase it all your life. One of my fathers in the faith, a man that's really spoken in my life, said this to me one time. He said, you know, because he spent a lot of time seriously preparing for every service. Didn't matter where he was. Didn't matter if he already knew what he was going to preach. He'd make sure he had time in prayer. Some of the greatest things that God spoke to him were in those preparation times. He'd be in a hotel room. Some the amazing things that God says in hotel rooms sometimes. One time, his he was in, in a place where God was, he was just in the very presence of God. Not just the presence where you know he's there, but where you feel him that his wife came out of the bathroom and she, as she walked to where he was by the bed, she hit this, it was like an invisible wall of jello, she said. She said as soon as she walked in, she couldn't go any further. That was how thick that was. I said, you know, what, so you, how long do you prepare for service? What do you do? He said, once I experienced what it was like to minister in the anointing, I was addicted. He said, I'd never do it anywhere else. I'm addicted to that. And that is a good addiction. Once you really experience God. I remember we had a, a guy named Steve Munns here with the Go Ministries. Anybody remember that? It was a youth group from Minnesota. And he said, you know, the reason a lot of people don't really grasp the better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere that King David said 
as he said, they haven't experienced that one day in his house. They haven't really experienced that one day with him, so they don't know how good it is. I'm going to tell you, you've got to desire something better. Don't be lured back to sleep. The world will lure you back to sleep. We live in a generation that is addicted to entertainment, guys. We watch so much TV, so much music, so much movies. And we are addicted to it. If it's not funny, we don't have time for it. If it's not, if it's not, it doesn't have some action, you know, all these things. We've forgotten what it's like to be still. But this generation is also the generation that's going to see the greatest outpouring of the glory of God. I am not a doomsday man who thinks that this generation is cursed. I believe we live in a blessed generation because you're in it. And I believe that this is the generation that will see some of the greatest things because the Scripture says that all the, the darkness gets greater, but the light gets greater. We are in a time of war. Don't be fooled. Don't be lured back to sleep because the enemy is terrified of you. He's terrified and he sells you these weird little lullabies to try to get you to fall asleep and leave them alone. But Jesus said the kingdom of God is advancing and the violent take it by force. He said upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I've said this many times, but I'll say it again. He does not say the armies of hell won't beat down our gates. He said their gates won't prevail against us. We are meant to be on the offensive. We're meant to be attacking the enemy. And the enemy is not people. The enemy, the Bible says very clearly, is not flesh and blood. Human beings are not our enemy. I don't care what their political views are. I don't care what they're selling. I don't care what they're preaching. They're not our enemy. We battle against spiritual forces, rulers of the darkness of this world. Those are real. Don't fall asleep. Don't be lured to sleep. You know what being asleep is like? Just going every day, doing what everyone else does. No urgency. Being bogged down with the cares of life, deceitfulness of riches and desire for other things, Jesus said. Being bogged down with the need to be entertained rather than the need for significance. Being bogged down by light things when heavy things are at your grasp. And Isaiah 55 says, spending all your money, your time, your energy on things that don't last that don't satisfy, that don't quench your hunger, that don't quench your thirst. But he says, come to me. Buy from me gold without cost. I will clothe you. I will give you real bread, real life. He says it in Isaiah, then he says it again in the book of Revelation. Don't settle. These men and women of God that we find in Hebrews 11 were not great because God picked them out of a hat and said, I want them to be great someday. Sometimes you read the Bible and subconsciously that's what you think. I don't know why God picked Abraham. I don't know why He picked Moses. I don't know why He picked Noah. But He chose for them to be great. Can I tell you something? He chose them absolutely, but they chose Him. And Hebrews 11 doesn't say because God is flighty, because God is random, then Abraham did these things. It says by faith. They did all these things because they were looking for something better. The people that God's after are not satisfied with the placebo that the world's offering you. 
We want something better. Don't be satisfied. Don't settle. Don't, don't, don't settle for anything less than all that God has. Chase His delight. Chase His pleasure. Chase His kingdom. And I guarantee you'll find it every time you seek it. But you'll go deeper and you'll go deeper and you'll go deeper. God is calling you deeper. I want you to be aware that there is a, an eternal reality. There is a heaven. There is a hell. There is a judgment. There is a time of accounting. When I think of the people that thought they had control of their life, find themselves on the wrong side of eternity, not knowing Jesus, not accepting His free sacrifice. God didn't send them to hell. They rejected God. God did everything to save them from hell. Paid everything that needed to be paid. Paid the price for them to live. And they, they just chose to die. When I think about somebody that thought they had so much control, all of a sudden losing all of that control. And not having an opportunity to change it. But like the man that Jesus spoke about, wishing, oh wishing so hard that he could go back and begging that he could go back and warn people, don't come here. I think of that, it gives me motivation to know that there is life that we have and we carry with us. We don't carry a message of doom. We carry the gospel, the good news. But some people aren't aware of that. They don't know that it's there. They don't know they need good news. So sometimes they have to know there is a reality. But I want to tell you, the message we carry is not just the message that you're going to this place. The message is you can be saved. The other message that we have, that's the message to unbelievers, but I can tell you the message to the church is the same message that the Apostle Paul said in the power of the Spirit, the same message that the prophet spoke at, the same message that Jesus gave. Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead that Christ would shine on you. That he says in another place, the night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. For the time has already passed for drunkenness and carousing and living like the world. This is the time to rise up and wake up and speak the truth and bring the gospel and the good news and love like the world hasn't seen love and bring the joy that they don't even know about and the peace that they've never experienced. This is what you carry. Lay aside the deeds of darkness. The day is almost here. Put on the armor of light and forget about settling. It's not about settling. It's about seeking something better.